Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brian with my co-host Ben, and today's episode is all about being ticked off. <laughs> are you mad, Ben? No, I'm ticked. <laughs> We're not mad. We are going to be talking all about ticks. Yes. Nobody likes them. I shouldn't say nobody. There are some animals that really like them. We're going to get into all those details in just a moment. What are ticks? What diseases do they cause? How can we prevent that? Um, and and really hopefully clear up a little misinformation that we often hear. But before we get into all of that, we need to give thanks. I'm thankful today for jokes. I like to laugh, and I don't get to laugh a whole lot, so when I hear a good joke and it really gives me that deep down belly laugh, um, it gives me more of a positive attitude. I enjoy that, and I'm thankful for that. I even looked up to see if, like, Jesus laughed, you know? I was looking for kind of like stories of— Oh, Jesus wept. But that's—literally, that's what kind of the joke people are saying is that's all that it shared is that Jesus wept. But I got to think that Jesus once in a while told told a good joke. I'm sure he laughs at me. You are pretty funny. <laughs> well, looking. I was getting ready to say, how dare you? You tell people you don't laugh very much, and everyone knows you hang out with me all the time, so they're going to... Are you insinuating that I'm not funny? You are very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Just thanks, thank, thanks. I'm thankful for humor. I'm thankful that we can laugh, and, and uh, we need that. We need laughter. It does. If It feels good. It uh you can be in a terrible mood and just have that one little thing sneak up on you and make you laugh, and honestly, it can change your whole day. Well, yeah. You know what? We're talking about ticks, so maybe listening right now, maybe someone's in a bad mood, and I want to I wanna change it. So, <laughs> I'm so ready for this. What do you call a really large tick? Uh, really? A big tick. Gigantic. <laughs> Touche. Oh, I got one more. I got one more. What... Do the Eiffel Tower and a tick have in common? They both lean? They are both Paris sites. <laughs> that is really corny. I'm going to give that like a a 1 to 10 uh, and funny like a 4. Okay, I'll take that. That So you're getting there, but... Yeah, a, a snicker <laughs> of a laugh is, is still worth it, so... Yeah, more like a laugh of like a, wow, that was... Really bad. I can't believe you shared that. Well, there's my thanks. Well, mine's not so funny. Mine's kind of serious, but it is fun, and I do think it's encouraging. What I am thankful for today is knowing the ending. Think about when you get a new book or a movie or you're going to do something uh, scary or maybe fish a bass tournament, and you just kind of have that, man, I kind of wish I knew how this was going to turn out, right? I, I wish I knew what the ending of this book was. I wish I knew uh, maybe you're starting something scary in your life or a job interview and you just the whole time like you wouldn't have fear. Fear comes from not knowing the end. We don't know what the ending is. But as followers of Christ, we know the ending. We know the ending. And there are so many people that go through this world and this life not knowing the ending. And I cannot imagine the anxiety and the thoughts and the things that they go through and the fear that they live in. And I think a lot of sin comes from that living in that fear and and reacting to that fear. 
But as a Christian, we know the end. We don't have to live that way. And I am so thankful that I know how this story ends. Absolutely. No, I'm into that. I mean, Revelation is is awesome uh, to know the end. I do think as a Christian, once you have really kind of that, that comfort knowing the end, kind of makes it harder for, for what do I do right now? Like The waiting. Yeah, the waiting. Yeah. What do so, I do while I wait? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we don't know when, but we do know what the ending is, is going to be mm-hmm. like. We just don't know when. And so I'm around for the waiting. And in that meantime, I'll just try to learn more about him. Yeah. And while you're waiting, don't get ticked off. <laughs> yeah. That is what we're talking about today is ticks. Why the heck are we talking about ticks? Well, ticks is a really a topic that's starting to, I'm hearing a lot more in, in the local news, um, even national news about uh, the ticks. Are they increasing? And and what are they bringing and spreading? Yeah. It's August. It's really kind of peak tick season. Around where we live here in the Ozarks and a lot of the south, you start hearing people say, it's August. You know what that means? You better watch out for them seed ticks. It's mm. seed tick season. That's when them seed ticks come out. You'll get them everywhere. Don't step in a pile of seed ticks. What the heck does that mean? You know, have you ever had that, like, thousands and thousands of ticks on you at one time? Yes. Yeah. You step in the wrong leaf yeah. pile, and it looks like... It's unbelievable. It looks like your leg is moving. Yeah, like you leg hair just going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of unnerving. Like, oh, it's more than you could honestly just sit there and pick off. Oh, yeah. Fingertips. Yeah, you're you're not getting them off by just picking them off. No, absolutely not. So what, what is a seed tick? Is it a species of tick? Um, growing up, that's what I always thought, and most people talk about them like they are a type of tick. Yeah, and you, and you know, growing up, I actually thought that they were a type of you tick. Believed it, yeah, yeah, I mean, wasn't I guess necessarily wasn't believed or not. I never was taught. We just said, "Oh man, you found the seed ticks." Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of that it was, was a always this of time tick of year. And, always right. like this late July yeah. through August and even yeah. kind of into September, but August is really that core month around here where the good old boys are going to tell you watch out for them seed ticks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and ticks go through a life cycle and the very first stage of of a tick, no matter what type of tick you're talking about is a seed tick. Yeah, it's it's it is the larval state, the larval stage of ticks. So, it is all of them. It is not a specific. It's not its own kind of teeny tiny tick. Uh, it it is all species of tick go through a larval stage uh, before they have a host, and and that is what you're seeing when you when you have these teeny tiny seed ticks. Um, they are about the size of uh, they say like a, a poppy seed or even small. I mean. Really, I they say poppy seed. That's how I see them described often. But man, I think they're even smaller oh, like, than that. Like if you were to take a needle and kind of poke yourself, like it would be that size, like like the end of a a, a sewing needle. Yeah, almost, like, like yeah, the tip yeah, of it. Yeah, because I mean, if you take like a ballpoint pen and you make a one dot on you, that's a whole lot bigger than what a seed tick looks mm-hmm. like. So, and you have hundreds of them, if not thousands, at times. Um, and I do want to talk later, like uh, one of my stories is, is what do you do when you get that many right. on you? But but that would be the very first um, stage of and that, it. And clearing up that, that's kind of one of the reasons we're wanting to do this podcast today, this topic, which seems kind of weird to do a whole episode about ticks. But we do get asked a lot about ticks. We get asked a lot about what we do. We hear more and more about some of the diseases. We know people personally affected by some of the diseases spread by ticks, but there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of fear because of a lack of information. That is why we're really going to dive into this today. Let's start with what is a tick? Uh, A tick is a parasite. Which which means what? They have to have a host. They have to have a host. They don't make their own food. 
another mammal with blood. It should. It doesn't have to be a mammal. They like reptiles and things too. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to have a blood meal. They have to rely on other organisms for life. They are a parasite. So to maybe kind of help with this. So as as humans, um, we don't go through life cycles because of of our eating patterns. Right. But a tick being a parasite. It's going to be a cycle. It's going to be um, a life cycle through how much they eat. Right. Okay. Yeah. the the larval has The larva has to go find a host, and then eventually all the way to adult. And the ki- kind and size of host they're looking for is depending on the stage of their life. Unlike any of the life cycles of the hosts that they they are getting on, um, there are also arachnids. A lot of people don't know that, which is like a spider. They have eight legs there in in the arachnid. Uh, classification, and I think that's that's kind of just a fun fact. Most yeah, people well, don't know that they're interacting. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. They start off with six as that seed tick, yeah. and then as they become an adult, that's when they, they end up with their Yeah, no correction their, there. You're, sets, you're so. right. Yeah, seed ticks have six. That's one way to know that it is a larval larval stage seed tick, and then moving on up into the adult tick, it's going to have the eight legs and, and be classified as an arachnid. There are a lot of species <laughs> in the world. I think they said there's over 100 in the United States right now. I'm saying right now because it seems like every year they're like, oh, there's another one that's moved in. Right now they're saying about 80, around 80. Wow. And then here in uh, Missouri where we live, uh, in our area, they say there's really only three. So most states that you're going to go through, you're going to see like three to five species geographically by state and then depending on north or south there seems to be a big division um based on hosts that are available in those geographical areas which tick species are present yeah but it seems to be migrating the lone star tick in particular used to be considered a southern north america species and it is all the way up to canada now yeah and i guess the questions i would have for some of the people that study that would be have they actually migrated there on their own, or have we have humans, uh, as humans, have we been moving them from Texas as we've traveled up north? Like, like how are they getting there? That would yeah. be a, a... Or maybe other species of animals. Or, we, yeah, see the, we see these movements birds. of animals and bir- or, uh, mammals like armadillos and uh, birds right. and other species of animals that travel from north to south. Um, likely, that's how these, these parasites Correct. are being transported. But what can't really be argued is that we have more ticks now than we ever have. The numbers are astronomical in how much disease is is uh, being contracted by humans from ticks and how many more ticks we actually have. You can go out and do tick density studies by uh, oh, people put out, uh, help me out here. CO2? C- yes, but what are they? Uh, dry ice. Dry ice, yep. You can put dry ice out on white sheets or blankets in areas and and literally take the area of that uh, cloth that you've put out and how many ticks are on it in the time span and, and do a tick density study in the area. And uh, scientists, entomologists are doing this, plus just how many ticks people are actually getting on them. It is astronomical, the population increase of our ticks. And so really I want to answer why. Why did we not used to have as many and why do we have so many now and why does it seem to be this bloom as entomologists are calling it? Global warming. <laughs> okay. You, <laughs> there's that laugh you wanted. You you are saying that jokingly, halfway jokingly, because yeah. most of the articles, videos that you go read and watch, that is what's going to get credit for this. It's right. going to be climate change, right. global warming. 
I want to shed some different light on that because uh, honestly, I want to call bull crap. I want to I want to call baloney on that, and I want to say that humans, um, our generation of of adults, are not taking any accountability for Correct. the damage that we have caused. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just want to blame it on something that really isn't tangible called global warming. Correct. Or actually, climate change would be the word. Climate Bible change. T- climate change. Because it could be stated it's getting really, really hot, and then there could be times that they could say it's going to be getting way too cold. When we were school in school as teenagers, global yep. warming was the correct thing to right. say, and now correct. it's climate change correct. because it gives people a broader dartboard to throw darts at, if I'm being honest. That's why I think they call it climate change instead of just something a little bit more specific like global warming. I want to... I want to defend myself here a little bit. Yeah. Let me defend myself. From coast to coast and border to border in the United States of America, our habitat has changed. But it it is not because of global warming or climate change. It is because of what humans have done. Or not done. Or not done. Right. We have not taken care of forests. We have introduced all kinds of species of non-native plants and animals our native landscape is is almost completely diminished across our whole country. So we have animals like quail and wild turkeys, almost non-existent in some areas, seeing rapid declines that people are just now starting to notice. Well, guess what? One of the favorite things that both of those species love to eat. Let me guess a tick. A ticks. <laughs> they love to eat ticks. Mm-hmm. On top of that, the habitat that we've created, these dense, dense grasses, make it hard for animals that eat ticks to move through, but perfect for ticks to live and breed. It holds moisture, which ticks need, and it has plants for them to live on while uh, waiting for their vector to come by, That whatever the animal is. So one... They're protected. They have an awesome house and breeding ground. And two, there are less animals that actually eat them. So, of course, we're seeing a bloom in ticks. I don't know why people aren't acknowledging that. I don't either. I don't either. And and you talking about what people bring in, you know, whether this is a coincidence or not, mulch. I have found that, like, I've been at places and ranches and camps and places where people have brought in mulch. And inside these warm, moist mulch beds have been ticks. And I'm like, well, are those ticks that happened here or were the ticks already there and we brought them in? Mm-hmm. Like, um, So when you're talking not only about habitat, it's what are we doing with the landscape and all the plants that we're bringing in? Like, what are we bringing in with them? And Absolutely. what impact is that causing for us as well? Absolutely. You know, you can go back and, and read journals of explorers from like the 17 and 1800s passing through. You can look up journals for the area that you live and uh, looking at journals that are recorded from these folks as they were passing through, it is rare to see them document ticks. And when they do, like if you look at, um, there's some early 1800s, I don't know if it's, it's like 1806, something like that. Some, some journals from Lewis and Clark, when they mention ticks, it's kind of like a big deal. Like it's like this oh man, they are talking about ticks right now because there wasn't a lot of them like there are today. And the reason for that is all the native habitat was still in place then. The the way God created, where he created the plants and animals for our area, they were present then. And so we didn't, did we have ticks? Yes, but not in these giant populations that we have now and definitely not spreading the diseases that we have now. Um, 
And you may say, okay, yeah, Brian, like if we get our quail and turkey populations back, how much impact is that really going to have on the millions and millions of ticks? Well, just in my own little science brain, I want to share with you, people get in our area and in a lot of rural areas, people buy chickens or guinea hens to keep on their property to keep tick levels down. And I'm here to tell you, it works. Absolutely works. absolutely works. And you don't need that many of them. No. I have eight chickens on my property. They free range around each day. I have five acres. About half of it is mowed and half of it is completely wild grown, like perfect habitat for ticks. We play outside, me and my family, every single day that it's safe to be outside. Every day, all year round that that we are able to, we don't get ticks because we have chickens. Eight of them on five acres. Right. And they don't even spend all the time on mine. They go to the neighbor's property too. So it really, really works. And ticks are an important part of that food chain. They really are because they're actually going up and getting energy from the the higher parts of the food chain, from bigger mammals, and bringing some of that energy down to the, the smaller parts like birds and lizards and even opossums have been known to eat ticks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of bringing and balancing this energy in this food chain, but it is getting out of balance because of our lack of care for our native habitat and our native species of animals. No, you, you, yeah, that's spot on. Like birds, you can see a decline in our bird populations just right here where we live. And you can see what we're going to say, a little bit of a rise of, a, of ticks. And now because we have that many more ticks, what kind of diseases are starting to take place and, and happening because now humans and ticks are coming, are becoming more and more in contact with, with each mm-hmm. other, you know, they're, they're you're now entering into their their habitat because there's just so many. Absolutely. So, how do we end up with ticks on us as, as humans? Let's kind of look at that process. How do they even know where we are? How do they get on us? Um, sometimes people will be like, "I just walked to my mailbox right. and I got a tick on me. How is that even possible?" So, I think we have to first start with the life cycle. So, okay. we talked about sea ticks, mm-hmm. but sea ticks they're going to feed on whatever host they can find. You had already stated it could be mammals, it could be lizards, reptiles. Yeah, it's usually something small and and low to the ground that is easy for them to get on squirrels or lizards or things like that. So as these sea ticks begin to feed, then they're going to drop off and really begin to look for like another host. And so it does take at least three hosts to go through this cycle. So the the, the next stage would be nymph and after molting, they engorge themselves on whatever this host is. Let's just, let's pick a... Yeah. And by engorge, you mean they fill up. Yeah. Let's let's say your dog. Let's yeah. just pick your dog as an example. And after that, then as they drop off of that host, now they're going to be at that adult stage. And it's at the adult stage is when I think most of us, when, when we think of ticks like in our brain when you think of a tick and you've seen what it looks like it's usually that adult stage that comes to mind correct you know that that rounded body with this you can feel it crawling on you you can see the head you can feel that hard plate on their back that's the adult stage of of a tick and honestly it's like at that adult stage is when they truly begin looking for well uh, trying to detect carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. you know and so let's say if a mouse was out feeding in your tall grass like they're going to to definitely detect that carbon dioxide and find that mouse. Yeah. So as us as humans, as we're out there and walking and engaging, not only may they detect our common carbon dioxide. As we exhale. As we exhale. Honestly, we wear pants. We wear tall socks. We, yeah. we, we wear this hairy clothing. legs. Yeah. And a tick's 
feet are designed. Uh, I'm going to say hooks. Yeah, they're, they're like hooks. Velcro. That's and so Velcro. as we walk by, all we have to do is hit a hook. Yep. <laughs> and they're on and they're going to begin to crawl, right? They're going to begin to work their way upon us. And so we can find these as we're out walking in the wilderness, but also anywhere that our animals may have been or wild animals have been walking through as well. Because remember, these stages, as they're going through the stages, as they get to that engorgement of their first or second stage, they're going to release and mm-hmm. and fall off so that they can really reset and get ready for another host. Right, yeah. And you know, I hear people say, oh, I just, I just went right out my back door and I was sitting in my lawn in my chair. Like I didn't even go anywhere. How did I get them on me? And that's really their... Those adults are sensing the CO2 from exhaled uh, mammals that are exhaling, reptiles that are exhaling as we're releasing CO2. They are sensing that. They know that's a host and they're going towards it. So you don't have to go walk through the thick grass and thick forest where ticks really have their highest populations to get a tick. They can come to you based on uh, sensing that CO2 levels. And that's kind of that, that trick or that that uh, tactic that I mentioned to how scientists collect them and do tick density studies of dry ice, the CO2 that is, is vaporizing, it pulls them to that area and you can pick them and see them really easy on that white sheet. But that's why they're using the dry ice. Right. Now, something I have really grown up uh, not knowing the truth about is when a tick gets to a stage of engorgement. So it's an adult and it literally engorges itself. Around here, we like to say fatter than a dog tick. You know, we call those dog ticks. And honestly, that isn't just a dog tick. It's all because that engorgement and why it's turning gray to a greenish gray to sometimes a whitish kind of grayish color is because of they have been feeding for hours and hours I'm and hours. I'm tell you, it's stinking nasty. It is so gross. Have you ever popped one, though? Off a dog. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of blood in there. But the reason I'm bringing that up is that I thought that was actually called a dog tick when it got to that engorgement stage. I didn't. But, you know, there have been some studies. There are studies out there that actually show how long um, as it goes from adult and goes through that engorgement phase, you can actually see like how many hours from zero hours to 24 hours up to 72. And that 72-hour mark is where you're getting into that full engorgement. So if you ever find one on you (laughs) and it's that large, you know, I mean, we're talking 72 hours worth. (laughs) Crazy. Y'all have been on an adventure together. Well, I know I had a family member that actually found an enlarged, engorged, sorry, engorged tick uh, underneath the ponytail um, on her head. And so knowing that it had to, I mean, it's, it had been there for up to roughly, yeah, 72 (laughs) hours. That's, that's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I've been bit a lot of times, but I have never had one engorged. Right. Me neither. Not on me now on my, my dogs. So growing up, we had outside animals, which meant they didn't come in the house. And sometimes we'd use tea and flick. Yeah. Sometimes we would use tick and flea, (laughs) Um, you know, something for them to to keep it off. But most of the time they they had to fend for themselves. And so we would find those really, really, really large grayish looking um, ticks. All right. So something I'll be honest, I kind of get a kick out of it. Uh, Some people really freak out about ticks. I mean, freak out. I've also get amazed at some people that live here where we live and say, well, I've never had a tick before. Have you had one? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I've had a few in my day. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, most people 
if you go outdoors into rural areas during the summer, uh, very often you're going to, you're going to experience a tick. You're going to have a tick on you. Um, if you are aware a lot of the times it's, it's not going to have bitten you yet. You're going to be able to find it before it bites you. And that's, that's ideal. You can get it off and kill it. And, well, have you ever had get tick, rid of it? tick-itis? Never had tick-itis. So I have. So Is that one of those 18 diseases? No, it's when you find one on you and then the rest of the day you think that you have hundreds more. You'll yeah. be like, oh, I've got one. You'll lift that shirt and there's not <laughs> one there. And it you end up not finding any others. You only had one and you got tick-itis now. All right. So I guess I have had tick-itis and right. it doesn't even have to be on me. If me <laughs> yeah. and you walk down the yeah. path and you're like, oh, I got a tick. <laughs> got a well, tick. no, I think I've got 75 on That's me. That's true. But people do. They freak out about ticks. Um, and I guess what I want to answer is why are they bad? Why are people freaking out? Why is there a fear of ticks? What is so bad about them? They're teeny tiny, they suck a little blood, and you got an itchy spot if they bite you. Like, what? what is so bad? What is this immense fear that is growing amongst people of ticks? You know, before the fear comes, they're a, pe- is a nuisance. It's, it's all, like when you have a tick that has bit you, even if it's on for, you know, let's say 20 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes that bump, that itch, it itches for days, and it takes a while to heal up. Like, they're a nuisance, they're a problem, you don't want them. But then now with, let's just say from the CDC to to our media, to people that maybe haven't experienced even that one tick bite, there are diseases that ticks can carry, and that brings a lot of fear to a lot of people. They carry a lot of diseases. That number seems to be increasing every year as well. They say about 18 different diseases here in the United States now. Uh, really, those here where we live locally, there's only about three ticks that actually carry those and two of the species carry like six each Uh, and they're really the predominant ones and that's going to be your black-legged tick and your lone star tick now the black-legged tick lyme disease is the most common tick disease Uh, it is more common in the north than in the south Mm -hmm. some different studies trying to decide why that is uh, but that's going to be from the black-legged tick and the, in the south, they're going to say that um, the larval in those nymph stages like to feed on lizards and that some lizard blood actually kills the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. Mm. Now, this is kind of another misconception. People think that ticks are diseased and that ticks are where all these diseases are coming from, but it's actually coming from hosts that the tick was on before you. Mm-hmm. It's bacteria that is in the blood of the host or two. You may be the third or fourth host of this tick before it gets on you, but they are actually bringing that disease to you. So they are considered vectors. They are bringing their, uh, this pathogen is traveling via tick. Right. So you're, you're telling the ticks don't actually make the disease inside them. Correct. So where are they coming from then exactly? So for instance, in the north, Lyme disease is more prevalent, and that is because they don't have all these uh, lizards. They don't have, in the south where it stays a lot warmer, they have more species of lizards, and these lizards are out longer because of the warm weather. Some of them are out all year long if you go to the, the far enough south, and that's the main, one of the first meals for a lot of these ticks. Well, in the north, they don't have that. So one of the first meals are going to be animals like squirrels and things that actually carry this Lyme disease. And so it has passed through every vector. And now it's just literally being exponentially amplified as it goes up uh, 
I, I guess you could call it the food chain, but yeah, no, <laughs> every I mean, bite that the tick makes. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of resources reference mice, like just how ticks. It's like one of its first food, as as the seed tick is is a mouse. I yeah. guess you know they're right there with them. Right, they're yeah. right there with them um, for sure. Um, you know, you were talking about Lyme disease, though. Um, that is one thing, but are there more? <laughs> are there more diseases that we need to worry about than just Lyme disease? There are a lot of diseases, Ben. Some of the common ones are ehrlichiosis, and the one I dread the most that I'm hearing more and more about is called alpha-gal. That one, you know, I, growing up, really didn't have a fear of ticks. I knew that if I found one, pick it off, be done. Like, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. However, I didn't really know of anybody that was getting sick. Now, alpha-gal, Brian, I'm, I know people, and I'm starting to hear even more news about people getting this alpha gal mm-hmm. and and because of what alpha gal is it does terrify me i am nervous yeah you and i are meeting people and, and talking about their experiences with it and, and there's no cure you don't really get over it it's it, it changes your life it does uh for, for the rest of your time that you're on this earth and uh it is the one that i'm like man if i got that i don't know if i could get over it you know ehrlichiosis is really common but it's kind of like having the flu It's kind of like having the flu and there's antibiotics and things you can take to get over it. Lyme disease is, like I said, probably the most common one. I've known, you know, my father's had Lyme disease. I've known several people that have had Lyme disease and it can take a toll on them. Some people deal with it for years. Some people do deal with it for the rest of their life, but they're still able uh, to live and and eat the foods and things that they want. And there are treatments for it. Yeah. And I mean, it does depend on where you live. I mean, wherever, wherever you're listening from, it does have uh the disease in your region and so yeah and so brian you were talking about you know you've already talked about lyme disease um honestly there's the rocky mountain spotted fever that is another common one i forgot that one you know but more importantly i'm not concerned about how am i going to get over this disease i'm more concerned about how do i keep myself from ever even thinking about getting it i didn't ask you this why are you so scared of the alpha gal one well because I love red meat. Yeah. So alpha-gal uh, basically is a sugar molecule found in, in most mammals. And so I love to eat beef, just cow, yeah. um, even pork. Uh, those are some, man, the, the, I probably eat that more than I do fish or even chicken. Yeah. And so- Venison uh, is another good one. Yeah, venison, right. And so alpha-gal, you know, what's going to happen is, is is you are going to be allergic to any red meat, Um from that tick bite. So it basically gives you an allergy. Now, there are people that I do know that if they were to eat red meat now after being bit by this tick, they could go into anaphylactic shock. Like they cannot breathe. They have to carry an epinephrine pen. It's so serious. Then there's just other people that it makes them very nauseous, very sick. So there's degrees within the alpha gal. However, you have to stay away from red meat. Yeah. And there's still a lot being learned about alpha gal, more and more cases of it. And the alpha gal is from that lone star tick. And it's probably the easiest to recognize. It has that white dot right there in the center of its back. And more and more people are getting alpha gal. Like I said, you and I are encountering and hearing people's stories about it. Researchers are studying it more and more and learning more and more. Some people, like you said, are so sick that their anaphylactic reactions to it are require an EpiPen. And some people they just get a sick stomach. They just get nauseous. Some people are actually cycling through different levels of sickness. Some people have been able to, after a year, have some red meat and then think they're okay. And then all of a sudden it comes back again. But it is really generally 
agreed upon that there is not a cure for it. Right. And and not yet. And also, you said the Lone Star Tick, you know, I believe that everyone's in agreement that that's the majority where it's coming from. However, they cannot rule out that you can't get it from other ticks. So like you said, Brian, there is a lot more studying that needs to, to take place to, to know exactly what we have here and, and hopefully maybe one day to find a cure for that. All right. They're diseased. Now we know why people are really getting scared of them. I am scared of alpha gal. Now that's becoming prevalent. I know you are too. The best way to combat all of that is prevention. Mm-hmm. So we need to address how do we keep them from getting on us? How do we keep them from being prevalent on our property? And then if we do get them, how do we get them off safely? And this is going to be really the steps that people need to follow, the things that they need to be considering to protect yourself from ticks. And people who are in rural areas, if you're spending any time outdoors at all, you do need to be considering um, adding these steps to your daily routine when spending time outdoors because these diseases are getting more and more serious. There are a lot of different products out there that you can go and buy from almost any store that you go to is going to carry some sort of repellent A, B, C, and D. I mean, there's just so many kinds. So for me personally, I've narrowed it down to one, it's what I have found to work best for me, my family, and that's what I want to share. So when you talk about the steps to take before going out, number one step is honestly to dress appropriately. If you're worried about ticks, then you want to cover your body. You want to keep them off of your skin. And so dressing long pants, long socks, boots, that's going to help because you're going to be able to see the tick on the on your clothes, right? If you're wearing shorts, um, you know, wearing shorts, boots with socks, that loose clothing, you know, as they start working up your legs, they're going to get underneath your clothing. And it honestly, you're not going to be able to find them until you do a tick check, mm-hmm. uh, which we need to talk about tick checks here in a minute as well. But dressing appropriately for wherever you're going. For me, though, I'm going to take a next step and I'm going to add permethrin to my clothing. Permethrin for me has really changed the game. Like before permethrin, I would use DEET. And the issue that I had with DEET is that it didn't seem to work. It may have worked within 30 minutes of putting it on. But when I'm outside two, three, four hours on a hiking trip all day, whatever, I'm not going to put this stuff on every 30 minutes. Uh, Matter of fact, I've learned that I'm allergic to it, so I have to stay away from DEET. Hallelujah, because I don't think it's great. So when we talk about permethrin, they sell it in a uh, aerosol or a clothes soak where you can soak your clothes in it. And then when you go out, it not only, because it it says repellent, but it's actually an insecticide. Like it's going to kill this tick as it gets on your clothing. Well, that to me is amazing because anything else that's called a repellent is truly that. And all it's going to do is, is maybe repel that tick from staying on you or even, you know, hooking to your clothing. Like it's repelling. Whereas permethrin, when that tick gets onto your pants, because I'm telling you, it's going to, if you're in an area where there's ticks, you are going to get a tick on you. I want it to kill it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love permethrin. It it works so well for me and my family. Yep. What about you, Brian? What do you use? Well, about 12 years ago when I was introduced to permethrin, um, kind of like, wow, I've never heard of that. And I've never stopped using it since just because it is so effective. You know, honestly, when we talk about uh, picaridin mm-hmm. and DEET 
and permethrin. Those are going to be one of the three chemicals. Sometimes they combine them. And, and, and they add citronella to a lot of these right. now you're getting. Um, you can buy today. In, in any of your uh, insect repellent things, I know there's kind of a holistic trend of using uh, essential oils and things like that. And I'm here to tell you, uh, I have not found any of that stuff to work. Not for I, me. I, I haven't. And Yes, is the true answer. Well, you really shouldn't be putting any of those chemicals on your clothes or on your body if you really want to be safe. I'm going to probably agree with you, but the reality is we've damaged our uh, our native habitat enough that if we're going to spend time outdoors, we do have to protect ourselves, and the best way to do that is permethrin. DEET, is, it's nasty stuff. It is. it is a tiny, tiny molecule that we can actually absorb into our bloodstream. You have to reapply it over and over and over again. Permethrin lasts on your clothes for two weeks, and you can wash your clothes, and it's still on there. You know, people read the bottle, and it does say, it says, do not apply directly to skin. But so does anything that has DEET in it, and yet everyone still I does that. I watch people spray DEET in their face. I know. We, actually, we had a group where they they were spraying it like in their hair, on top of their head. They're breathing it in. I thought, why why is this happening, right? right? So I can only educate and share, but I, I cannot make somebody change. Another thing right. about permethrin is that it's naturally sourced. It yeah. actually comes from plants. Uh, the the chrysanthemum. Cr- 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 how am I saying that? Chrysanthemum. Cr- cr- yeah, 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 you said it right. It's from that plant. And actually the picaridin that is, a lot of people are moving to now, it is just a repellent as well. It mm-hmm. is not an insecticide. And it is 100% synthetic made in a the lab. There is nothing natural to it at all. Um, so for me, permethrin is the safest and it is most effective. I will say sometimes with permethrin, the tick will make it through my clothing yep. to my body and yep. start to bite me. And I will find it barely, barely attached dead on my skin. Right. But it has t- it has touched that chemical and, and got to me. But man, it is so much more effective than anything that I found. Um, I, I really believe in it and I really use it. And that is my one thing because we spend so much time outdoors, Ben, and we don't really know everywhere we're going to go. And we right. go to some rough areas Yes, and I rely heavily on permethrin to keep me safe and healthy. I'll be honest. One of the things that is jaw dropping to me when I hear people say they've never had a tick before it is because I have experienced in my life, I'm going to estimate and say, I've probably had over a thousand tick bites and I 100% have had more than a thousand ticks on me before. I have had instances where I have picked over 100 at a time off of my clothes and legs while they were crawling on me before they could get to me. Yeah. Let's talk about that real fast. So we talked earlier about sea ticks and what do you do? Um, because permethrin is a insecticide, basically it's going to kill the tick. I have found that that be the best thing that I spray. When I have thousands of sea ticks on my legs, I spray my leg down with permethrin and it kills them. That's great. When In the days of not using permethrin or um, not having it with me, I've had to resort to, I use duct tape and I literally made a wrap of duct tape around my hand on the sticky side out and I just went to sticky town and yeah. just started. A lint roller is another good option well, yeah, if you got one handy. You know, I have uh, even, even, before all that, when I didn't even have duct tape, I thought I could just jump in the shower and wash them off. And I'm here to tell you that you'll get a lot of them off, but it's still very, very hard. Right. I was on a back uh, backpacking trip. We did a, it was like a four day trip. And on day two, I got into sea ticks and we were right next to the river. And I thought, oh, I'll just hop in and wash them off. Ha! Huh? 
I, they, when I got into the water, it was almost like that water told every sea tick to hold on tight. Yeah, boys. hold on tight. Like, and and then I had to pick them off. And so, I'm telling you guys, like, permethrin has just changed the game for me. I'm such a believer in permethrin that I've done a lot of research in regards to what is permethrin and and why do we use it. And so, if you have a fear of using permethrin, let me share. A little bit with you here. So, in infants, if an infant, an infant, human infant, were to get scabies, the doctor is going to prescribe you a single application of five percent permethrin, and they're going to tell you like put it on the entire body, and it has five percent yeah. permethrin directly in the cream. on the skin, directly on the skin in the cream. Okay, then from there, as your kid gets older, and perhaps they get head lice, they have permethrin lotion that is used to treat that lice. And in that's and that lotion is 1% permethrin. Mm-hmm. So now as an adult or even my children, I, I put it on their clothing. If I need to use permethrin in my clothing, if you look at the permethrin that you're buying today to, to use for your clothing or perhaps to put it on your skin to kill those sea ticks, it is using 0.5%. So when people are really worried about, oh, I don't want to put permethrin on my skin, I'm here to tell you like, they're putting it on infants that have scabies. So it isn't as bad as I believe some of the other chemicals that are out there. Plus, it is killing this tick. It's not just repelling it. And because of the clothes soak that you can soak it in your clothing, it lasts not only the whole day, but my all my trips that I go on. And then it lasts up to like four to five, sometimes six washes, depending on how hot the water is. But permethrin works, but it is not 100% effective. It is awesome. Right. So... Once it fails, let's say it fails or you missed a spot or maybe one dropped down from the heavens and landed on your head <laughs> where you didn't spray. Yep. Who knows? What are the steps that we should take to make sure that we're not getting sick once it's, or maybe we forgot to put it on. Who knows? But we have a tick on us. What do we need to do? Yeah. I mean, get online, search how many hours do I have before each disease and all of that. You know, you want to limit how long this tick is stuck to your body. And so you really want to do a tick check. That's tick check, tick check, tick check. When you get done outdoors, check your kids head to toe. Um, You need to check your body head to toe. Start with your feet, look in between your toes, work your way all nooks and crannies. And if you need help, Ask somebody. And do that as soon as you can. As soon because as you can. The, like, like Ben's saying, the longer that is on you, the better chance it has of transmitting the disease. So definitely yes. do the tick check. Let's say you're doing a tick check and you find one bit. There is a proper way to get it off. Here's another piece of misinformation that I want to debunk right here, right now. People will share all these ideas of, oh, yeah, put alcohol on them or put a piece of ice or you hear all these crazy things. And they'll back yeah. right out. Guys, none of that's none of that's truth. You cannot force a tick out. They are on they're on you because they are on the life. Like they are gaining life. They yeah. need to do that. The only way to get a tick off is to pull it off. Yeah. And how you want to do that, you want to get as close to the skin as possible. Really with tweezers or some kind of speci- they make actual tick pulling things that you can buy. Mm-hmm. But you want to get as close down there and you want to pull on the head. And you can kind of pull lightly and they'll start to kind of fidget and pull them out without squeezing the body and make sure that you get the head and everything in there because it can get infected if you leave that head in there you're and gonna really lift, bother you. You're going to lift this tick up and it's called tenting. Your skin will uh, will start raising up with this tick and you're going to keep that tenting. You're going to keep, you're not pulling so hard that you're ripping the head out of the body, but you're going to tent until that, that tick lets go and you're done. 
uh, just ensure that that head is still not in your skin, that it is still on that tick's body. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and another thing that you can do is the area that you probably spend the most time outdoors is going to be your yard, your lawn, your mm-hmm. outdoors. Mm-hmm. There are some things can do. I mentioned if you want to have chickens, you can get chickens. You can hire companies to come spray. You can go to Lowe's or a local home improvement store. You can buy pelletized stuff or spray to spray your lawn if you want to put insecticides out there. Personally, I found the chickens to be really effective. They yeah. say guinea hens are even better. Mm-hmm. But there is another thing. If you are open to burning your lawn or burning your around your property, fire is very, very effective. That's one of the reasons we have this bloom of ticks is because fire is no longer used as a tool. All the way back to Native Americans, they use wild, not wildfires, really prescribed fires to take care of the land. And we prevent fires now. Yeah. And well, we need them. Well, I've actually seen some studies done that ticks will actually get under leaf litter. And that's where they'll stay through the wintertime. They yes. don't have to dig down into the dirt. Like, they will get on this leaf litter. So by what you're saying, you're removing you're, their habitat. You're removing their home. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and the, the leaves and all that is their fuel. And basically, when you have fire, it'll create openings in the canopy. We have all these closed canopy forests. And it stays like these consistent, cool, moist temperatures, which is perfect for ticks to reproduce. But what happens if we open up that canopy with fire and it puts drier, more, uh, less humid heat during the day and cooler at night because it's not retaining that heat and ticks can't survive uh, those conditions. And and fire is the best way to do that. It's it's cost effective. Just make sure you go to a MDC training or uh, your local conservation department usually has trainings. Universities do trainings anywhere from free to like $20. And you can go out and, and use fire as a tool to prevent ticks on your property. You know, we've talked about us. We've talked about that prevention. Have you seen problems within with animal wildlife maybe domestic like what kind yeah. of problems are ticks you, you causing? know uh i love deer it's my favorite animal white-tailed deer and fawns actually die really from being really uh, like com- like from one tick or completely sucked of nutrients from hundreds and thousands hundreds of ticks thousands right. probably of ticks on them wow. uh there are properties in the summer man you look at these deer, these poor deer on pictures or see them and they are, their ears, they can't hold their ears up fully erect because they're so heavy with ticks. Right. I mean, it is a hard thing to watch. Literally just, they're rubbing their skin raw trying to get these ticks off the back of their neck. I mean, think about not having hands, not even being able to scratch where these ticks are. It really is kind of sad. And again, if you are a landowner, something you can do to lower those tick numbers is, is use prescribed fire. I used to take care of captive animals, white-tailed deer, elk, cows, bison, all, all kinds of things. And I actually built a, a feeder that had paint rollers on it, and I would treat it with ivermectin or permethrin, uh, depending. I would actually rotate them for, for most effectiveness. And as they fed through these rollers to get to the feed, uh, they were actually getting this medicine, and I pretty much eliminated uh, ticks on them by doing that. So stuff. they walked through the rollers to, to feed. Or they had to put their head through the rollers right. to roll it gotcha. on their ears and, and, and necks. So uh, if if you're somebody that takes care of captive animals, or definitely be uh, applying things on your livestock uh, to make sure that they're not suffering from these nasty parasites. So if if our wildlife, if it's bad for them, and, and we've definitely discussed how it can be bad for humans, why, Brian, why do you think God even made them? So let's answer this question. Did God make them? Yeah, he did. He made everything, right? He made everything. You know, the world's a broken place. Mm-hmm. 
and there has been allowed, not made, there has been allowed a lot of bad things to happen. Um, and it's kind of like hunting locust trees, big old four inch long thorns that I say are, are, are from the devil. And it goes back to that, to that original sin and the suffering that we have to take care of. And because we've neglected that, it has made things like tick populations worse. Yeah, no, that's, I agree with you that, uh, a lot of this does come from the curse and whether these animals were made before the curse or after the curse, you can debate that all you want to. However, you know, ticks are a favorite food source for your chickens. Uh, we do have wild turkeys and there are other birds like grouse and dove and quail and all these birds and they do need a food source and that is a food source for them. And so I think yeah, that's the they, answer right they, there. I they mean, fit in, they fit into the food chain. They do, but we've allowed that to get, to get out of whack by, we by did. mismanagement. Right. Correct. And because of that, you're going to see the, I think the increase in disease as well. And when they're, when they're controlled or managed appropriately, um, I think you have a balance there, and and I don't think we'd be having this this climb in these different diseases. But right, well, have you ever been sick from a tick? You've had quite a few tick bites in your day, right? Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of tick bites. When you were saying hundreds and and I know I've had hundreds of tick bites. I know I've had thousands and thousands of ticks actually that I pull clothes, off yeah. yeah on me that I've had to deal with all my life. Um, but I know I've I've been oh at least a hundred times I've had. Um, bites by ticks. Um, you know, I can't say that I have actually been sick mm-hmm. because of those. Yeah. Um, I do and can say that I have been sick by applying DEET to my skin. Um, I broke out in hives one night. It was an awful night. I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was really terrible. Um, the, the DEET made you the sick. DEET, the DEET yeah. did. Um, however, ticks, no, I have not been sick. However, I have and know family members that that have from Lyme disease all the way up to uh, a coworker many many years ago. Uh, I say many years ago, uh, six years ago probably now. Um, was one of the first people that I heard with alpha gal. Yeah, and so that's really awoke me, or uh, I'm now awake to some of these newer diseases, and I just want to ensure that my children um, are protected. Yeah, you know, I I have never been sick either, but I have known several people that were sick. You know, recently I had a sickness that, honestly, I I don't go to the hospital. I don't do doctors a whole lot, and I ended up in the ER just because didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't get out of bed for two days. I had so much pain in my body and fever, um, and something that I ended up doing was doing a tick panel. Like, have you had ticks? I'm like, well, yeah, I meant to be outdoors, man. Yeah, of course yeah. I've had ticks and. And they ran a tick panel on me, and that takes about a week to get those results back. And everything came back negative. They test for, I forget how many, six to eight different, some of some of those prevalent diseases that we uh, we named. And thankfully, I didn't have anything, so still don't know why I was sick. Kind of wanted an answer, honestly, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm doing much better now, so that's great. Um, but that is something that people can do if you are worried. Go ask your doctor for a tick panel. It's just a blood draw, and they they send your blood off to the lab, um, and they can tell you if you have any of uh, the proteins or pathogens present in your blood that indicate uh, disease from a tick. There are other things you can do if you're concerned. They can actually test the tick. So if you're if you're very paranoid or you just want to save all the ticks that you can bit, some people actually put them in little Ziploc ba- bags and date them and put them in their freezer. Um, and if you end up getting sick, you can have those ticks tested to know if it came from that one 
or not, and that gives the doctor uh, an idea of how they need uh, to provide treatment to you for that specific disease. You know, Brian, the last thing here on this on this tick part, um, I had never heard of this until recently from you, and we've already shared this on one of our past podcasts, but when I've done a head-to-toe check and really making sure that I don't have ticks, I have never looked in my mouth. But can you tell us, do you, have you ever experienced or ever heard of anybody having a tick stuck on the inside of their mouth? Oh, man. I, I won't get too specific. Good, don't. Just, I won't get too specific, yeah. but someone, oh, I will say someone in my family mm-hmm. had a tick inside their mouth. Like they thought they had strep throat or something. Right. And the doctor had to pull a tick off the back of their throat. And that's a that's a new one for me. I never in my life. Matter of fact, if you told me that I'd have called malarkey, I'd have said that you're pulling my leg. Yeah. I'd have never dreamed that or ever thought that. Yeah. And I didn't really believe it either, but they were able to prove it to me and that blew my mind. And it's a story I'm gonna share. We don't share all of this to scare you. We don't want you to not spend time outdoors. There are news articles sharing that the best approach is to not spend time outdoors during the summer. Please don't take that approach. You need to be outdoors. It is good for your health physically. It's good for your health mentally. It's good for your family. You need to be outdoors in creation. Yeah. So quick recap. If you are wanting to go outdoors at your home and you're worried about ticks, if you can get chickens, guineas, get those, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going into the wilderness, dress properly and find some sort of repellent Hopefully, you're looking at permethrin. Um, apply that so that you are even, you know, better guarded against uh, some of the ticks that you may come in right. contact. Yeah. With. If you have any more questions for us, or maybe stories uh, like thing like a tick being in your mouth, or some kind of crazy story like that, if you want to share it with us, great way to do that. M to be outdoors at gmail.com. You can go to our Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q and A page if you want to join and be a member of that group. We have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Those are all great ways to get a hold of us. And we want to help you with your outdoor experiences. So please, if you have more questions, let us know. We we would be glad to help you. Follow along on those social media accounts. Leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. That would really, really help us. And share with a friend, too. We always want more listeners. So share with a friend and, and help us grow. That would be great. That is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In between now and that time, we hope that you remember you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.